The Truth News Network. On every continent, in every capital, at colleges, universities, wherever solid thinking stands against the tides of insanity, there is one voice, a beacon, a light in the murkiness of political swill. From TNN, the Truth News Network, comes that voice, Dan Newman. You know what's really difficult to understand is in all of the noise. We really do need to find loud voices that will speak out in the blackness that we're facing here. I know everybody turns to somebody else. I can't speak. I'm not qualified. I'm, I'm, I don't have a speaking voice. And I struggle sometimes to get my thoughts out. Tell you a quick story. Remember the probably greatest guy in the nation of Israel was Moses. The burning bush thing when he was on the back of the desert herding sheep for his father-in-law. We know that story. And God argued with Moses, and Moses argued with God. That's kind of unusual to happen, but it did happen. And what it was all about was Moses said, I can't speak. I can't go to the king of Egypt and talk to him about releasing the Israelites after they've been slaves all this time. I'm not a speaker. I don't know how to talk. You know what God told Moses? Don't worry about that. When the time's right, I'll fix it. And guess what God did? He sent someone else. He sent Aaron. Aaron was always the spokesperson for Moses when it came to things that dealt with other powerful people and people in politics back in that day. Don't you worry about it. What you see and feel in your heart, it's safe to share that. And don't think that it's not, and also don't think that you don't have a responsibility to share it. Somehow, what we need to be prayerful about is when we're to share it, how we're to share it, and with whom we are to share it, whatever it is. And that changes from time to time. So just because you don't have any political connections, which, by the way, I don't either. I have a few politicians that are friends, but I don't really call them connections. Just because you, like me, don't have many political connections and maybe we don't have a voice. Maybe you think you don't have a voice, but you do. There are a circle of people that you run in contact with almost daily. You never even give those people, being in a circle, you don't ever give that a thought, but you should. Why? Because those are the people with whom you can have the most influence because they know you. They know you. They know what you're about. Now, to dispel the um, misunderstandings about that word, let me explain something to you. It's one thing to know somebody, and it's another thing to know about somebody. give you an example. In our country, our medical billing company, not our country, medical billing company, 32 years old, we've had a whole lot of people that have come through there as employees, and we run a call center as part of what we do, so you can imagine the turnover there. There's no way I could ever keep up with it. In fact, I never handled personnel for the company, even from the very beginning. Why? Because I wasn't qualified, but I got someone who was. All that being said, I can't tell you how often somebody stops me on the street, at a restaurant, at a ball game. Hey, Mr. Newman, how are you doing? I hadn't seen you in a long time. You know about this, 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 and this, and I was lost as a goose. 
I usually recognize a face and know that they were at some point in the history of our company, part of the company. And I just, I'm very kind. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hope things are working out for you and your family. And I pretty much leave it there. I don't really know them. I may know a little about them. So who do we really know? (laughs) You know the answer to that question. It's the people with whom we spend our lives. Those are the people that live at the same address as you or that birthed you and live somewhere else or that were a sibling of yours or maybe a child, a cousin, a brother-in-law, mother-in-law. All of those people are in our direct circle. They know us. They don't just know about us. They know us. So why wouldn't you feel comfortable, even if they're of a different political persuasion, and a lot of them are, still make sure that you, make sure they understand the political atmosphere of this world, both sides of it, and what it's doing, and point out and be very specific, giving them some examples. You don't need to go blazing guns into a conversation and just say, I'm going to obliterate anybody and anything they might say that is different from what I believe. That'll get you nowhere. But just simply because they know you, they know how you live, they know who you are, they know you're not a nut job, hopefully, they're going to hear you. There are some of you listening today that have the ability to have a voice at least the size of TNN Live. Many, much bigger voices. Watch for open doors. If you're a Christian, when we get to heaven, we've been told that we're going to be held accountable for everything we did, every deed we committed in our lives. But you know what else we're going to be held accountable for? the things that we knew we should have done that we did not do. Those are the ones that I want to make sure I take care of because those are the ones, those are the big things that basically come directly from God. I will tell you this, I spend a lot of time on my knees making sure, asking, talking to, listening to my God for directions And looking over my shoulder, I've done some things in my rearview mirror that I'm not proud of. I wish I could undo. I've done some things that I am really proud of. Maybe they weren't big deals to anybody but me, but they were important things. And specifically within those things are those that I felt led by God to do, and I followed through with it. We've tried to teach our kids about giving There is a Christian edict that 10% of all of our income, the first 10%, is supposed to be paid to God. How do you do that? Well, in 21st century America, we do that through the offering plate. We do it through giving financial assistance to some of God's causes out there that are directly God's causes, but we, off the top, are required to give 10%. And let me just say this. Along with doing that, and that is a basic requirement. Don't ever think it's not. It is. And to be quite honest with you, if we don't give it, God always gets it somehow. (laughs) What do you mean, Dan? You have a car that breaks down. Maybe you were supposed to tie 10% was 500 bucks. Car breaks down. You got to go get your car fixed. The bill comes. It's 500 bucks. Maybe 
the auto shop owner or workers there are Christians and you're going there and paying them to do work on your car that you should have paid to God in the first place, they pay their tithes through the money that you give to them. God always has a way of getting it. And God's monetary system is not always about dollars and cents either. He takes care of it all, and he keeps record. The easiest thing to do is find a spot to pay 10 off the top. That's what I call it, 10 off the top, 10% off the top. But there are some promises, some really good ones that go with that. God is a quid pro quo God. I'll just tell you. He's the one that invented reap and sow. You know, what you put in anything is what you're going to get out of it. What you plant literally in your garden is what's going to grow. Whatever we plant in the way of seeds, seeds of tithing, and then seeds of offerings above our basic tithe, we're seeding the ground. Now, what am I talking about? When we give physical offerings, we put money somewhere. At our church, we do a direct deposit, a draft off an account that we have set up there. It's really easy. So whatever that number happens to be every week or every month, I remind God of that. God, don't forget you promised. If I'm faithful to you, you'll be faithful to me. I invested in your kingdom this amount of money, and I don't include the tithes that I paid because that's his off the top. I include what I gave above that, and I remind God of that. You don't have to beat him up about it. He knows. But what he wants us to do is prayerfully, not because he owes you anything, but because he's God, and you like the fact that you get to serve a living God that really cares, a God that really cares. Come on now. I'm not preaching a sermon I'm looking back over my life of 68 years. I watched it as a kid as my parents followed through with it. I've done it. Marianne and I have done it our entire lives. We've been married 47 years. Our children, our three children, their grand, our grandchildren, their kids, they've got that principle embedded in their hearts, and they've watched it work in mom and dad's life. There's a curse that goes along with not tithing, by the way. So I'll just give you one little short example of how we've taught our children about when should you give an offering above your tithes and to whom. And here's what I, what I tell them. We, we live in a, in a church that believes in world outreach. We have missionaries all over the world that we support financially. We have a bunch of them. Many of them have come out of our church directly. Others that come through our church, our pastors hear about them, bring them in. They share their stories. And we pray and God imparts a lot of people to give to that ministry. I tell our kids this. If you're sitting in church in a service and you get this feeling, somebody up on the platform, a visiting minister or a visiting missionary, or even your pastoral staff are talking about a missions outreach or a church outreach, maybe to your own city, something special that is going to cost money. Anytime you get a little small voice that says, hey, Dan, you need to give $50, $100, or whatever it is. You need to give that to support this ministry. I tell my kids, when you hear that, that's the voice of God. You can bet nobody from hell is going to get you to give to anybody in ministry. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're working against that minister all the time. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's voice speaking to us. Always, always acknowledge that, accept that. And what is there to hurt? What if there's to hurt? I mean, come on now. Is 50 bucks going to end you? If it is, get on your face before God and have a conversation about what's going on, what's really going on. And if you need help, you can always reach out, send me an email. I'll put you in touch with somebody that can give you direct help. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. On today's show, have a bunch of minutia to take care of. And when I say minutia, it's not a lot of really big stuff that's out there, but it's full of a lot of stuff that, though not big, makes really big impacts. Things that I, I think we all need to know about. I fell across something overnight. I got to be honest with you. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm laying there. I grab my phone and I start scanning the news headlines. And one pops up in this one. I had to get up out of bed because of what I had just read. This is this must really be bad, Dan. What is it? Well, there's a left-wing nonprofit that's working to end mass incarceration. Now, what does that mean? End mass incarceration. The only mass incarceration in the United States would be our prison system. And it doesn't sound as good politically for a not-profit that uh, is trying to raise money. If you tell these people, hey, we're out there to enter the and get rid of the jails. We don't like jails, which is what this is all about. They want to end mass incarceration. This big nonprofit, they landed a $171.7 million U.S. taxpayer-funded government contract that has clauses in it that could run that number up to a billion dollars. And what are we giving this NGO, non-governmental organization? Why are we giving them a billion dollars? It's specifically for one cause, to help unaccompanied minors avoid deportation. Did you get that? We're giving them, this organization, it's called the Vera Institute of Justice. We're giving them an open check that the government has signed. And it could go to as much as $1 billion over the next few years. What is going on with this thing? Well, let me give you the details about the Vera Institute of Justice. They're a New York-based group. They support defunding police. And they view immigration enforcement agencies like ICE as a threat to civil liberties. They were awarded a Health and Human Services funded contract back in March to specifically give legal assistance to unaccompanied minors. Now, who are these unaccompanied minors? You know who they are. There's the ones that were trafficked across our southern border, sometimes with parents, sometimes they're being used as bait. They're being used as drug mules to bring drugs over. 
but sadly many of them are brought over to be trafficked themselves. And we are going to help them, but we're not going to help them by saving them. We're helping them to keep from being deported back to their countries of origin where they were legally supposed to live and they weren't supposed to come in in the first place. Now, maybe it's a trial. I don't know. It'll, the arrangement lasts until March of next year. But it can reach as $983 million, just shy of a billion, if it's renewed until March of 2027. This is the largest federal contract Vera Institute of Justice has ever secured for immigration-related services for any single year, dating all the way back to the mid-2000s. So what's in the contract? Well, it came in the middle of an escalating border crisis. We all know that. There were 14,699 encounters of these minors in May alone. That's an increase from a little over 12,000 that came across in April, slightly higher than the 14,000 that came in in May. It's a bunch of kids. According to Border Protection, there was an average of 692 of these minors in the agency's custody during the month of May. So far, there have been more than 100,000 minor encounters in fiscal year 2022, which started in October. That's compared to 148,000 for fiscal year 2021. They're not being removed when they get here and they're caught under the Title 42 public health order. They haven't been from the beginning. Many people thought they were being sent back with their parents, but if they were unaccompanied, they've been staying here. And when they stay, they're typically transferred into the custody of Health and Human Services, moved across the country to parents or sponsors already in the country. How many of these... How many of these tens of thousands do you think slip through those cracks? What are you talking about? Don't think for a second that human traffickers are not watching this and lathering at the mouth to get their hands on these illegals, these illegal kids. I asked somebody, if you have a young a young kid, basically somebody that's younger than 15 years old, what ends up happening to them? Well, gladly, some of them are put through the U.S. system for adoption, foster care. Those are always good things in most cases. Of course, there are bad things in the middle of every good cause, right? Most of them get a chance at life that way. I wish a big chunk of them ended up there. But many of them, they literally end up getting sold domestically here across the United States, any law enforcement officer, if they're honest, will tell you it's rampant. It's rampant. Sex and human trafficking of kids of all ages, both sexes, trafficked around the world, and there are massive amounts of dollars at play in that process. So as you can imagine, the Biden administration, they've had to scramble to get their arms around the massive surge of these unaccompanied kids, as well as adult migrants and family units. Most recently, the Biden folks signed a five-year contract to start leasing an abandoned school in Greensboro, North Carolina, where they're going to house unaccompanied minors away from the southern border. 
Potentially, thousands of migrant kids will be detained at the American Hebrew Academy campus in Greensboro, and they're going to stay there though until they can be housed with either family members already living here or other sponsors. So, of course, the blame game starts. GOP, they're pointing fingers at the Biden administration for this massive surge in migration to the southern border, as well they should be, because it is because of this president's policies, his lack of enforcement of federal immigration law. It calls for amnesty for these illegals and the rolling back of Trump-era policies like the migrant protection protocols and border wall construction. That makes sense. This, anytime you see any incident that involves the collection of a big group of ethnic people, always look for the money that's at stake. It would begin with that billion-dollar grant to this big NGO. And again, I'm going to give you the name so you can remember it. We're going to follow this and we'll watch you see what's going on. The Vera Institute of Justice is headquartered in New York State and see what they're doing and see, more importantly, what's happening to these kids. This is a big deal, folks. Just think if it was your little boy or your little girl. You can't imagine the scenario. Pretty much no American can imagine such a scenario where we would send our kids across whatever desert countries that would be involved in the hopes of getting them into the United States, where they could be united with a family member. But remember, they're coming across paying drug cartels to traffic these kids across the southern border. There's no guarantee these cartel people are even going to give a flip about those kids once they get them here. You have no idea where these kids are going to end up. I just can't imagine a parent letting that happen. So what else is happening around the world today? Well, the stock market opened up this morning at 500 points down. Why, oh, why is it because of that? We got this bad news yesterday about the 9.1 increase in inflation. Guess what we got this morning? Wholesale inflation. It was up even more, 11.3% in June alone. Wholesale prices accelerated again in June as inflation seeps throughout every part of the U.S. economy, top to bottom, squeezing businesses, American households, in the form of higher prices for most necessities. Labor Department said this morning its producer price index, that's the index they look at that measures inflation at the wholesale level. In other words, what your stores, the ones that put it up on the shelves where you go to buy, at that level, it's up 11 so that loaf of bread, you buy it from Brookshire's or you buy it from Kroger. Well, they're paying, if they were paying 50 cents for it, they're paying 56 cents for it now. And what does that mean to you? Well, you're going to pay the increase yourself. Probably they're going to put another penny or two on top of that. I heard an analysis of the mortgage rates that have gone up recently. And they're going up again. And they're going to start this dramatic spike going up that we saw during the late 70s, early 80s under Jimmy Carter when mortgage rates got all the way up to 19%. 19%. Can you imagine paying just the interest on a $500,000 home 
will make it a $750,000 home that you put $250,000 down on and you're financing uh, $500,000. Can you imagine the difference in a 1% or 2 or 3% mortgage? What the monthly payments are going to be in that mortgage compared to one if the interest rate is based on a 7 or 8% mortgage loan? It's incredible how much more cost is involved in it. We have no control over this. You and I don't. There's nothing we can do. The government, of course, Joe Biden, he's going to take care of everything. I mean, I've got ingrown toenails on two toes. If I made a big deal enough about it, if I was big enough to make a big deal that could get to the White House, Joe'd want us, well, he wouldn't do it himself. He'd send somebody down here, first class, go down there and take care of Dan Newman. He's one of these Poor white Americans. Who'd he vote for? Oh my gosh, he voted for Donald Trump? Never mind. Canceled the ticket. I'm joking. Anyway, my point is, it really looks like they don't give a rip about our inflation at either retail or wholesale levels. They don't care about the store owners and what they're having to pay and what they're having to not be able to do because they can't keep customers Customers who have payroll that can't keep up with the rise of the cost that this government is cramming down on each and every one of us to pay anytime we go anywhere. My car's in the shop. Some of you know that I got run over in my car about a month ago. Not literally run over. Going down a busy four-lane street, and I was in the inside lane, and a woman in an SUV came up in the outside lane and decided all of a sudden with no turn signal, no motion whatsoever, and no light, no intersection, she just decided to turn left out of her right lane. And she got the front end of her SUV turned around. I didn't have any choice but to hit her. I gave you all the bloody details to tell you this. Obviously, my car goes in the shop. The insurance companies are arguing over liability. I got to have something to drive. And so I got a Toyota RAV4 from uh, Enterprises, who the uh, insurance company had. That's my insurance company. Got it. In the middle of that, I get a call from State Farm, which her insurance is with State Farm. They acknowledged on the phone 100% liability. So I thought, hey, 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 maybe I can get a better car out of it. Well, I did. I've been going back and forth during the week. Some of you know this too, to uh, Colleen, Texas. That's a city right next to Fort Hood, Texas, which is Fort Hood is the largest military base in the United States. And there's a back specialist there, number one in the nation for what I've been doing through my back. So I've been going down there quite a bit. Round trip from Shreveport, Louisiana to Colleen is almost 600 miles a lot of gas. So my car is in the shop. I got to use something. I did two of these trips in that Toyota RAV4. Those things, they ride like, oh my gosh, like I'm riding in a log wagon. And remember, I'm going for back stuff. (laughs) So you can imagine how much fun that is. But it gets great gas mileage. And so when State Farm took over this entire process on getting my car fixed and paying the expenses, which really is only a rent car. I told the rep, he said, uh, he asked me a question, are you making any trips? 
And I told him, I said, yeah, I've been going back and forth to Colleen from Shreveport, and I've got a couple of those trips in the next two weeks. And he said, well, let's get you something smooth to ride. So I got one of the brand new um, Jeep Grand Cherokees, the new one that's, it's, it's a full-sized SUV. It's got three rows of seats. And I mean, it's spectacular. My main car is a Continental, Lincoln Continental, and it's really nice. I used to drive only Mercedes S550s that I leased through my company, and a friend of ours was the um, Lincoln dealer, and it was time for me to roll over my S550, and he called and said, hey, have, this was back in 2017, he said, hey, have you seen the new Lincoln Continentals? And I said, no, I don't. I'm not interested in the Lincoln Continental. Years ago, I was in the Lincoln Mercury business, and they're good cars, but I'm not interested in them. You know, they, we always looked at Lincoln Continentals as grandpa and grandma cars. I didn't want to look like a grandpa or grandma, which I are a grandpa, but my grandkids call me Poppy. Anyway, I said, Ken, and he said, let me just send one over for you to drive and you find out the differences between it and your Mercedes S550. So he sent it over. It's a little bit longer than the Mercedes S550 little bit wider than the Mercedes F550. Interior is plusher than a Mercedes. More electronic options, more comfort options, and the car rides better than a Mercedes S550. And so I had decided that we were going to stop leasing cars because remember I've told you the story. I turned the company over to our Son-in-law that was, he was already the president of the company and it was just time for me to step to the side and let him take the reins. And with that comes, I I couldn't have him fund a a car for me out of the company. So I did it personally. And I was going to write a check if I did it because we weren't going to lease. I was going to commit myself to about a $105,000 car. I got the exact same amenities are better. I got a better ride. I got a good looking S550s are besides the fact they're Mercedes Benz. Come on, be honest. They're not the best looking cars on the road. Mercedes sedans, the big ones aren't. So I bought this Lincoln for exactly half of what I would have paid for that Mercedes S550. Saying all that to say this, this Jeep that I got on, it's not quite what my Lincoln sedan is, my Continental. But it's a whole lot better than that RAV4. But let me tell you something. When you start putting gas in an SUV, full-size SUV right now, still, even with gas going down in price 10 cents a gallon about lately, you're talking about a C-note to fill up a tank on a vehicle like that. $100. And it gets decent gas mileage, but not what that Toyota RAV4 did. So this last weekend, I actually went, and i you don't know this, I'm going to give you some information. I had back surgery Monday. I did the show early so you could have the full show. And of course, you haven't missed a show this week, and you won't going forward. But in this new vehicle, it was remarkably more expensive because of inflation and not because of Vladimir Putin, because of Joe Biden and his policies, inflation, that it cost me almost twice as much to drive from Shreveport to Colleen and back in this new 
Jeep Grand Cherokee than it did in that Toyota RAV4 because of the gas mileage. That's just one example. Everything you can even imagine, the air you're breathing, you're paying more for that. (laughs) How are you paying for I don't know, but they figured out a way. You don't get any breaks. When you live in America, you pay for everything, even the air that you breathe. That was a long story just to tell you, get ready. The month of August that's upcoming, and we're almost halfway to that through the month of July, prices for back-to-school stuff, it's going to blow you away when you start getting your kids ready for back-to-school. And it may not. You may already be in the mindset, well, it's here. I don't have any choice. I've got to do this. I've got to have that. So I just got to pay the price. Honestly, that's the best place to go to think about all of this because you and I, besides voting, there's not a darn thing we can do about it. If you're not in the decision-making process, just find a way somehow to live through it. Because if you can't be a part of the decision-making, you don't have an option anyway. Just deal with it. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe we ought to do that instead of just getting upset all the time. How about that? So, you know, President Biden, he went to Israel first, and he's going to Saudi Arabia. And, of course, everybody's blasting him even for going to Saudi Arabia because he's been extremely vocal against Saudi Arabia for crimes against humans. Khashoggi, the journalist that lived in America, he was an American, but he literally got slaughtered in Turkey by some henchmen of KSM, the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. I mean, literally, folks, they just chopped him up, put him in something that would dissolve his body. They've never found it, never will. And why was that? Because he was a journalist and he was reducing news and information about the royal family in Saudi Arabia that they didn't like. So they just took care of him. So Joe Biden, when he was campaigning, we're going to get these Saudis. They've been getting all kind of breaks from the United States. If you elect me, I'm going to tell them to go stick it. I don't think he told them that, but his actions after he was elected at first showed that. So Joe first went to Israel, met the new Israeli prime minister, Yair Lapid. They signed a new joint declaration in expanding the security relationship between us and Israel. One senior White White House official told reporters that the pledge will include reaffirming a commitment to block Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. And this was a really big deal for me. This was the only reason I thought that the Israeli people would even be kind of happy to see President Biden show up there. So what's in the interview? Uh, Excuse me, what's in the nuclear agreement? So he had an interview with Israeli media, which was recorded before he left D.C., but it was aired on Wednesday. What he said in in that uh, interview, he said he would keep... Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the RGC, on the U.S. foreign terrorist organization's watch list, even if they killed off the 2015 Iran nuclear deal as he began his trip to the Middle East. He was asked in the interview 
if he would prevent Tehran from obtaining a nuclear weapon meant he would use force against Iran. Biden replied, if that was the last resort, yes. The only thing worse than the Iran deal that exists now is an Iran with nuclear weapons, he said. I got to be honest with you, with him saying that, and of course we know with this president, him saying something, committing to something, uh, saying he's against something, first blush doesn't mean what he said and committed to is going to be what actually happens. He doesn't know where he is and what he says about half the time, even when it's on teleprompter. So that's his 10th trip to Israel overall. At the airport, right after he debarked from uh, Air Force One, you'll be glad to know he didn't have any problem coming down the stairs. He was briefed by Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz on Israel's Iron Dome defense system and a new technology called Iron Beam, which uses lasers and is being developed in conjunction with our missile defense agency. Good to know something like that is in the works. The U.S. has given Israel $4.8 billion for security, and that includes a billion dollars for replenishing that Iron Dome. Those are the missiles. Remember, anytime there is a massive missile attack from uh, the the, uh, Palestinians into any part of Israel, we've seen when they showed the actual live attacks, these missiles being fired, the Iron Dome, it's not an actual dome. It's just a whole network of retaliatory missiles that through computer and um, electronic surveillance software, whenever they sense some of these missiles being flown our way or at Israeli's way, these uh, missiles as part of the Iron Dome, they fire and they go blow up those missiles before they can hit. And they're about 90% accurate. So, That means about only 10% of hundreds. Actually, the last attack the Palestinians did over two or three days, there were over 2,000 missile attacks against Israel. And there was concern about replenishing that Iron Dome over Israel because to replenish it, you got to put new missiles in the silos. And those are very, very expensive. So I'm sure uh, people in Israel breathed a little easier when Joe committed to help subsidize for those missiles. He's going to visit the West Bank and East Jerusalem and announce Palestinian economic opportunities that include the development of 4G capabilities both in Gaza and in the West Bank. Now, this is marked marking the first visit by a sitting president to East Jerusalem. That's a move that has been met with some concern, including from six Republicans Also, Israel's former ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Dannon, who urged Biden not to go to East Jerusalem. It'll only serve to encourage the unwavering rejection of Israel by the Palestinian Authority, which continues to refuse to accept the existence of the Jewish state of Israel. Considering the fragile state of affairs in Israel and the Middle East and recent heightened tensions, a visit to Eastern Jerusalem is going to damage peace prospects rather than encourage them. I would therefore urge you, President Biden, to kindly refrain refrain from this unprecedented visit to Eastern Jerusalem. Why is that? That's the part of the holy city of Israel. Yeah, in Israel, the Palestinians own part of the city of Jerusalem, and it's on the east side. 
very politically, this is a this is a match point for violence to occur over there because no previous president has made that decision to go. It makes you ask this question, why in the heck is Joe going to do that? I, I, I just don't know. I really don't know. So the real big deal about this trip over there is oil. Oil. So in the middle of all of that, Joe's now headed to Saudi Arabia. He's going to be over there tomorrow, which would be tonight our time. What's he going to talk about when he gets there? What's on the table and what is he willing to do and what will he have to do if the Saudis will possibly increase their oil production? Remember, this is the Middle East. We call Uncle Joe quid pro Joe. Anything he does in the Middle East, you can book it. You ask for something from the Saudis, They're going to get something in return. More about that in just a moment. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable-knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan high-efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable-knit to cable-knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. Just thought I'd throw this thought in. Everybody thinks that because Joe Biden has been in Saudi Arabia's faces since the assassination of that journalist Khashoggi, will Joe Biden meet with KSM, that is the crown prince, and he's the one that is responsible for having Khashoggi uh, euthanized, basically. they Well, they just obliterated him, burned his body up, acid, whatever. Will Joe Biden address that with the king? And he's always said if he ever had a chance, he would address it, and he would never get in any kind of negotiations about anything 
with the Saudis without the vindication of Khashoggi. Well, Joe was asking on the plane over, are you going to do that? And he didn't even answer. And Bidenism, let me tell you what him not answering a question means. He ain't going to do a darn thing. He's going to push right on through like Khashoggi's still alive. He has no backbone. If he had a backbone, first of all, he wouldn't be going to Saudi Arabia. He would look around to find what's a better way to get rid of our oil problem than asking the Saudis, putting them in a position where they could hold us hostage for oil. (laughs) Joe Biden's never going to do that. He's going to go for the political perspective all the time. Doesn't matter what it means to the American people, what it means to the people of the country where he's negotiating. All that matters is what does it mean to the Democrat Party platform at that particular moment. So he's going over there. Make no bones about it. He won't say he's going to beg the crown prince and the king to turn up the oil spigot so we can get more oil in the marketplace and drive the price of oil down for them. Why would they want to even do that? And so as he's doing that, starting today over there by the fact, energy reps in the United States, they're besides themselves. We think Texas is a lot closer than Saudi Arabia. That came from American Exploration and Production Council CEO Ann Bradbury. President Biden, she said, does not need to be traveling halfway around the world searching for solutions to our energy crisis when the solution is right here at home. She's speaking from Texas. The Permian Basin in West Texas has more natural gas and more oil than any other location on the planet. And yet, Joe Biden stopped the exploration and drilling there on his first day in office. It has a lot to do with the XL pipeline and the permit for the XL pipeline that Joe canceled, which stopped a lot of this exploration. If the administration is serious about increasing supply, they should be meeting with producers here at home instead of looking to governments overseas. Now, he's going to multiple countries while he's over there. He went to Israel first. And they say while he's over there, he's going to tackle a swath of geopolitical issues while he's doing it, and that oil and gas is just one of them. Yeah, right. But with the prices we're paying at the pump and burning hot inflation, that means they're going to go up. His visit tomorrow in Saudi and energy diplomacy in the oil kingdom going to be the most closely watched part of his trip. You can book it. That's especially the case amid human rights criticism of Saudi Arabia, including for its treatment of gay people and the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. I kid you not. I've watched videos, two that just really killed me, that came out of the Middle East, and both of them happened in Saudi Arabia. One was a woman who was accused of having sex with a Saudi man who wasn't her husband. And in the middle of the day, Out on the street, in a small town it looked like, the video showed people going back and forth. And it was taken at an intersection where people were crossing. And this woman, small woman, the only way you knew she was a woman by the way she was dressed was what she was wearing because you couldn't see one square inch of her 
over there now, they went back to this thing where nothing can show on a woman's body when she's out in public, even their eyes. They have to put on this shaded veil. Following her walking across this introduction is a big guy. Looked like he was somebody big in the, uh, in the Saudi government. You couldn't tell. But he was carrying this monstrous sword. One of those that, you know, it's not the little bitty sword where you fence, you, you fight that way. No, it's one where the closer it gets to the end of it, it gets really wide. It's got that curved thing up at the top. And he's following her. And when she got to the intersection, she stopped and he caught up with her. He grabbed her and turned her around and they started talking at each other. And it got louder and louder and louder. And two other guys came up and they got behind her. And whatever they were arguing about, it was very apparent after about 30 seconds, she was on the losing end of this conversation. These two guys grabbed her and turned her around and put her on his knees. And this guy just cut her head off right there in the middle of the street. I won't even tell you about the other one. But this kind of stuff is happening over there. It's been happening throughout history. We're never going to get people to think like us. There is so much history, as much as we have here. I did negotiated a couple of deals with Chinese businessmen in my past. And I got very impatient with a group of these Chinese elders And we were negotiating a really big deal and had been for months that we'd been working on it. And they finally came to the table and agreed to the terms that we had put on the table. And I said, great, we'll have our attorneys draft a contract and send it to you. I said that in this meeting. And two of those Chinese elders got up and walked out of the room. And I looked at them going, and the spokesman that was there, I said, what's that all about? And he said, you don't understand. The way the Chinese work in business, they look, they examine, they look at the ups and downs of every business opportunity that's presented to them. And they go back and talk to their fellow elders and they talk through all the good and bad, the possibilities of that deal. When they finally say, yes, we'll do it, that is their contracts. And when I asked them for a written contract, I offended them both. That's why they got up and walked out of the room. I never knew that. People are different in every society. And what's good and okay in one place would be just like this. I can't imagine the United States ever running anything without a negotiated and signed multiple-part contract. But over there, they don't do it all the time. Maybe that's why some of those people get in big trouble when they're doing business is because they don't have a written contract to stick close to when they're rolling out the terms and the stuff that's included in that contract. That may be the reason that we don't understand the assassination of a woman on the street in one Saudi city like that. Middle of the day, there were a few people that looked around, but it was like it was no big deal. Everybody just kept kept doing their thing. So what else is happening? Well, you haven't heard much about or from AOC lately, have we? Yeah, she was kind of vocal during the Roe v. Wade thing. But it it took, she didn't get out on the street. She didn't talk to many people that way. Any television camera 
that showed some interest in doing an interview with her. Of course, she was right in the middle of it. So she got in a bad spot yesterday. Pearl-clutching Congresswoman AOC. I like that description, pearl-clutching. She yesterday experienced an epic meltdown after one of those right-wing activists decided to give her a taste of her own medicine and to harass her outside the steps of the Capitol. This activist is a guy named Alex Stein. You may know him. He's a comedian. Luckily for him, this incident went viral earlier for his satirical pro-vaccine rap song. He recorded it earlier in the year. And so when AOC later took to Twitter and tried telling blatant lies about what had occurred, she got called out because he videoed their confrontation and put it up on the internet. So everybody, he's a big star. Everybody's watching all of his stuff on the internet. So they had seen what happened before she turned into her her tweet machine. The recording from Stein shows him catcalling her which was no doubt rude, but it wasn't profane. Here's what he said. AOC, my favorite big booty Latina. I love you, AOC. You're my favorite. She wants to kill babies, but she's still beautiful. You look very beautiful in that dress. You look very sexy. Look at that booty on AOC. That's my favorite big booty Latina, he says to her. So, I mean, surely you you say that to a woman on the street. That's offensive. No doubt about it. AOC then approaches him, flashes the peace sign. That's two fingers. And she says, why don't you do a little selfie? As she walks away, Stein continues, I love it. My favorite AOC. Nice to meet you, AOC. Look at how sexy she looks in that dress. Woo, I love it. AOC hot like a tamale. And this all happened with uh, Capitol Police just standing out there, standing watching. Right after the incident, the chronic liar of a congresswoman, that's AOC, of course, she posted a tweet that accused Stein of speaking about her juicy ass and calling her a Latina. She later deleted the tweet. Right after somebody told her, "Uh, AOC, your tweet said that he did this. Well, the video's up now, and... He didn't do what you told everybody that he did. (laughs) Here's what she tweeted. This guy followed me up to the Capitol saying, look at your juicy ass, you something-something Latina, and a bunch of other disgusting garbage in front of an officer who let him continue. So I'm just going to share his photo here since there's no other protection. And then she began to rant and rave. In one tweet, she defended deleting the previous tweet claiming it was giving attention to someone seeking extremist fame. You know, that thing that she does all day, every day. She whined about working in an institution that openly allowed this. Note that this incident occurred just a few days after she gleefully defended the harassment of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and his family, including when he had to run out of a steak restaurant one night. AOC then completely contradicted what she'd said about giving attention to an extremist by posting Stein's video, which she should have not said anything, and if she was going to do anything, she should have posted that and left it alone. She also claimed that when she approached him, her original intention had been to punch him. 
So I'm spending a little inordinate amount of time on this story to illustrate this one thing. What you just heard going through there, this is somebody that is paid to represent a political district, a congressional district, Northeast Manhattan. It spreads across three boroughs, I think. I know um, I know some of the Bronxes in her district. I'm not sure of the others, but it does spread across. She represents these people in Congress. And here's this person that interacts with this person on the street. That's going to happen. But then she spends a large amount of time on Twitter. What the heck is she doing doing that kind of stuff when it's during the day? Which, by the way, is a work day. You and I were at work when all this was going on. I'm not talking about the incident that happened. Yeah, we probably are at work when it happened. But I'm talking about all the back and forth, the stuff she's doing on Twitter when she's supposed to be working for us. We're paying her 170 grand a year plus expenses to do her job. And she ain't doing her job when she's out on the street. I can tell you that. Wow. So, I just threw that out there so you could, uh, I guess, get embarrassed and ashamed like I am about having somebody in Congress that would go that far. And by the way, I want to go on note here. I think she's an extremely attractive woman, young woman. I really think she is. And when she gets mad and starts that Latina stuff where she cusses you out, (laughs) in Spanish, I think she gets even prettier then. All that being said, I could never get by the politics, folks. (laughs) I could never get by the politics. Just a note here, looking at the Dow, it's going to be a bad day. All the wholesale cost of living, wholesale prices, the increases there, everything going up, and Joe Biden running over to Saudi Arabia begging for oil. It's not going to be any better today. So let me ask you this. What are we going to do about it? What can the Democrats do about it? We'll get into that later. We're going to, we're going to hear from the Democrats what their plans are about taking Joe Biden down and replacing Joe Biden in 2024. We got a lot we got to deal with between now and November of 2024. We got four and a half years. Excuse me two and a half years and look at what he's done in just a year and a half. Can you imagine how much worse it could be in November of 2024? That's bad enough, but think about having to endure another four years of that. So we're going to hear from the Democrats in a little bit, but we're going to hear from Stuart Varney right now. He's a business guy. He's an expert with Fox News Business. Dow is down 571 points. It was down about six or 700 earlier, but it's bounced back a little bit. That's a sign. Of course, it's not about everything that you own being devalued. But if you're in the stock market, that's something that everybody watches closely. It's not looking good. Hasn't been looking good. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle that? Stuart Varney weighs in. Here we go. How bad is it this Wednesday morning? We'll tell you immediately. Right from the start, we are down 387 points, and every single one of the Dow 30, except for Merck, they're all lower. Every single one of them. 382 down on the Dow Industrials. 
The S&P 500 down 1.4%, that's 53 points. The Nasdaq Composite down 1.8%, that is over 200 points. Big tech down all across the board. Apple 142, Amazon 106, Meta 160. Alphabet's down nearly 40 bucks and Microsoft has dropped below $250 a share. This market sell-off coming on those inflation numbers. 9.1% consumer price inflation over the past year. That was a real shock. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Which sectors get hard hit? Well, obviously tech. You're seeing that right now. We're down about 1.5%, at least two for the NASDAQ 100 and the uh, largest technology stocks there. So you saw that spike in 10-year yields, yeah. 75 basis point hike pretty much guaranteed later on this month, 80% probability of another 75 basis point hike in September. So that's three jumbo rate hikes in a row. Also, there's a 50, almost 50% chance now of a 100 basis point hike later on this month. What tells you that? What tells you this expectation? Fed, Fed funds futures, that's what I'm looking that's at. What you're and looking that's at. telling me that Wall Street is expecting a near 50 percent probability of a 100 basis point hike, which would be the highest since going back to the Volcker years in the 1980s. Right. Let me ask you this, though, because I'm trying to figure out if what that means and what that signals for the stock market if they just rip the Band-Aid off. We all know inflation is at its highest in 40 years. If they go 100 basis points later on this month, I think stocks would actually rally. I think you're right. I think you're right, yeah. because that would be almost doing a Paul Volcker. Right. And, and that's, stamp on it And that's now. your superpower, because you have historical context. You've yeah. seen this again, and you know history repeats itself. So do we just rip the Band-Aid off, so going Paul Volcker, shock and awe, saying we were going to get this under control? And I think that would actually send a positive signal to Wall Street, yeah. thinking maybe, look, if we raise interest rates this high in the short term, we could have room to cut into 2023. Is Jay Powell that tough a guy? So... I wanted you to hear this. As you probably figured out, that was early yesterday morning, the business transactions they're talking about. The Dow was down 300 points then. I just wanted you to understand, this is a big deal. And if you watch it from not being directly involved in it, and I'm sure most of us are, if you have retirement funds, if you have 501, um, excuse me, if you have any of the IRA, any of those savings opportunities, through your company, you're getting impacted because all of that doesn't just sit in a bank account somewhere. They invested in markets. They invested on your behalf. And we are talking about the prices of everything going up and down. And that directly impacts the value of all that you have put away, even in your bank accounts. It's hard to think that that's happening, but that's happening for a lot of different reasons. But most important is how they fluctuate these market rates based upon the price of money, the price of dollars. Let me just let me just put most everybody understands with a CDS certificate of deposit. Back in I talk about the end of the Carter administration, last four years of the 70s, 76 to 80, and what happened with interest rates then. Mortgage rates went up 19%, 19% for a home loan. Who makes money when that environment is out there? You would think it would kill everybody. Let me tell you who makes big bucks. Wealthy people. How could that be, Dan? The markets, businesses, everybody's hit horrible. Wealthy people, pretty much the wealthiest of people on earth, 
they're not actively, maybe in small part, but not in large part, in actual business ownership. They own stocks and companies, but they're not, in most part, they're not actively running a business like you and I are doing. They don't do it. They invest. The bulk of the money that they have, if you hear these brokers talk about it, when the market's doing crazy stuff, they'll pull all their money out of the market. What does that mean? They're selling stocks. They're selling bonds, getting liquid, getting it all turned into cash. Now, follow with me. My mother had a lot of cash in the late 70s. She had some stocks, had some bonds, and she was advised by her husband that was a part owner of a bank in South Louisiana, not my dad, my stepfather, that uh, she needed to take that cash and do something with it. So he was thinking about buying stocks. My mother put it in CDs. Now, how do they, most banks, how do they pay out the interest rates on certificates of deposit. That's when you go to the bank, you buy a certificate that says, Dan Newman deposited $100,000 and this is going to stay locked up in the bank and we're going to pay him quarterly at this interest rate. The rate that is commonly paid by banks on certificates of deposit are 1% over prime lending. So right now, what is prime lending? Well, mortgage rates have gone to 4%, 5%. That means it's 1% less than that. So I'm not sure what the uh, prime lending rate is. Now, prime rate is what banks pay the Federal Reserve when they borrow money from the Federal Reserve. When they get their money to use in their business operations, they get the money from the Federal Reserve. So one over prime. Okay, prime interest rate in 1979 went to 18%. So if you had money, if you had a minimum of $100,000 and you bought a $100,000 CD at a bank and just let it sit there, you were getting 20% a year interest on that. And interest was one over prime. Prime was 19. What you were getting was 20% return on your money. Take a hundred grand, put it in the bank for a year, cash it out, you get $120,000. Think about that on a large scale. Don't think that everybody is getting hurt in what's happening in this massive inflation. People that have a lot of money, a lot of liquid cash, a lot of it, they're making a lot of money and they're not doing anything wrong. They're not evil. They're not bad people. Just because somebody has money, just because somebody is working hard and making money, that doesn't mean they're bad people. Most cases, it means they've worked hard. They've worked hard for a long time. They had an idea. They put legs on that idea, created a company, bought into one, whatever they did to get there. But they did it honestly, and they're making good money. Don't denigrate wealthy people by them investing, putting their money in banks. Those banks can then turn around and lend that money to others that are trying to become exactly what these people that own these CDs are. And that is wealthy. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN.
Truth News Network. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun. And you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&Ms. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. So the president is aboard Air Force One. Well, he's not now. He's on the ground over there in the Middle East. He's doing Israel. He's doing Saudi Arabia. I know he's going some other places, but uh, we'll keep you posted when those happen. Are you like me wondering when the president's gone, what the heck is the vice president doing? I'm going to tell you. We've got a problem at the vice president level. We know we have a president that has serious problems, mental cognitive decline on a big, big basis. And the question that I ask every, every time I hear him give a speech, how long is he going to last? At the beginning of his presidency here on this show, I said, look, don't be surprised at some point in the next year or two And that was back in 2020. Here we are two years later. And we hear that Jill Biden made a call this morning to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Majority Leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, and said, guys, we got a problem. The president's going to have to step down. He had an incident that happened, and he's going to have to resign for health reasons. I can see that happening. I mean, look at what we see every day. I mean, the guy just doesn't have it. And it has nothing to do with denigrating him because I think differently from him politically. I don't. I do. I think differently. But I have respect for him. And I prayed for him. I prayed for him this morning. I pray for him every morning. I want him to do good while he's president. I really do. You can't get into prayer and be political in prayer. You just can't do it. It doesn't work that way. That's a story for another day. But anyway, the way this would work, if he stepped down, Kamala Harris is going to be the VP. And so do you, like me, do you think maybe this is like jumping out of uh, the frying pan into the oil? (laughs) So what's the number two in our government doing? While Joe was flying to Israel yesterday, what was Kamala Harris, vice president, doing? She gave a speech, one thing she did, a noteworthy speech, and I just felt like our listeners needed to hear the president in all her wisdom. Well, I said president, that was a faux pas. Vice president, 
president may become, president wannabe, Kamala Harris. And if you've ever wondered where her wisdom is on life in general and what we Americans go through and leadership and all that, blah, 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 blah. Here's Kamala Harris. Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. Now, you probably didn't grasp all of that really short segment of her speech. So listen to it again. Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. That was a 12-second speech, and she was reading from a teleprompter, and she couldn't get it all right. (laughs) Did you hear the stumble part in there when she talked about, you got to get to go? Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. I, I, I don't know. If she hadn't made that clear for me, I would have never understood it. You have to get to go? Well, you have to get so you can go somewhere, and when you go there, you got to be able to get back. So we're working on transportation. Man, what great leadership. She hit the nail on the head, didn't she? That, and then looking just above her, the President of the United States, that's who our leaders are. And I don't want to scare you, but when you start talking about the line of secession, if something happened to Joe, he had to be replaced, it would be Kamala Harris. Something happened to Kamala Harris, it would then be Nancy Pelosi in the White House. One thing, just one thing, is absolutely sure in a Nancy Pelosi White House there would be lots of liquor. (laughs) And there'd be a Porsche somewhere on the White House grounds because Paul Pelosi drives a pretty darn good-looking Porsche, doesn't he? You know, when we've gone through this mess with Roe v. Wade and all the pushback that's still going on, demonstrations still going on, demonstrations in front of the Conservative Supreme Court justices' houses are still going on. They're still following them. One firm is publishing online. They're giving you money if you will submit the exact geolocation of any one of these uh, conservative justices so they can go harass them. Harassing these justices and any judge, for that matter, is a violation of federal law. This Department of Justice refuses to enforce it. But everybody, everybody in America seems to be there against the overturn of Roe v. Wade. They want pro-choice. We've had that beaten over our heads for years and years and years. And now the numbers come out and it's not true. That's not the case. Now let me, let me uh, give you a segment of something that popped up yesterday from Dick Durbin, Senator from Illinois, Dick Durbin. In 1989, 
Dick Durbin gave a speech on abortion access and the law. I'm just going to give you like a paragraph out of what he said. Dick Durbin is so, so, so pro-choice now. It's unbelievable. Here's where he was, in, at least in the speech in 1989. I believe we should end abortion on demand. And at every opportunity, I have translated this belief into votes in the House of Representatives. He wasn't a senator then. He was in the House. He continued, I'm opposed to the use of federal funds to pay for elective abortions and will continue to support amendments to prohibit the funding of elective abortions for federal employees and Medicaid. Also, notwithstanding the result in Webster, I continue to believe the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade should be reversed. So Senator Mike Lee, Republican from Utah, yesterday, on the floor of the Senate, he read this part of Durbin's speech, and he asked for it to be entered into the record. He made a motion to enter it into the record. Durbin did not object when Lee asked for unanimous consent to submit the letter into the record. At the close of the hearing, Durbin responded to Lee by saying this, the letter was not new, that he had changed his view on abortion since the letter was written. He added that he's run for re-election in the House and Senate since then and believes that this hearing will not be the last time the letter is brought up. Outside, a little bit later on when he was walking down the hallway, one reporter screamed at him and asked him if he would tell us how much money and campaign contributions through the years he has received when he was in the House of Representatives and running for re-election there, and then in the Senate and running for re-election there, how much money has he received from Planned Parenthood? He refused to comment. We're looking into it. We're going to bring you that number, but it, it, I promise you before it gets here, I promise you, it's extensive. Most of these leftist leaders have gotten millions of dollars from specific abortion pro pro people that are giving it, doing it, giving money away left and right to keep abortion in place. Of course, they're called lobbyists. They're not called campaign contributors. We keep coming back every few days to this Joe Biden's son thing, Hunter Biden. Listen to this, the latest. It looks like he could face prostitution charges as his escort scandals grow. But it even gets worse than that. Hunter is now reportedly staring down the barrel of possible sex trafficking charges after he allegedly transported hookers across state lines in an obscene $30,000 splurge on escorts. The spending spree took place over five months, and it's now being exposed. The pictures and videos of Hunter Biden's exploits are pretty raunchy. All of this is a distraction, as other facts come to light, that the communist Chinese have been ostensibly lining the pockets of the Bidens, buying influence, who points 
these people that are finding this information point out that Hunter Biden made more than $30 million from entities affiliated with China's communist government. This is not about Hunter Biden arguing with a hooker about how much crack is on the scale. This is about our leaders, the Biden family, not just the Bidens selling out America, including its most precious assets to the Chinese government. Meanwhile, prosecutors may have the goods on Hunter this time. As documents, text, and videos show, he wrote checks to a Ukrainian woman whose transactions were red flagged by banks for suspicious activity. J.P. Morgan Chase filed a suspicious activity report that's called an SAR after Florida and New York-based Ekaterina Moreva allegedly received tens of thousands of dollars from Hunter's company. This damning evidence was found on the first son's iPhone. He was shown handwriting checks labeled medical services that he wrote to escorts that were supplied by Moreva, whose website offers a girlfriend experience with prostitutes as young as 20. A number of those checks were written just hours after Joe gave thousands of dollars to his son. Videos and pictures show Hunter assisting prostitutes in traveling across state lines for sex, which is a federal offense. The FBI has had this material since December of 2019, and they've not done anything with it or anything about it. This suspicious activity report was leaked to the media. It shows that student Anna Decatire from Sunny Isles Beach, Florida, was the recipient of, you know, the small sum of $274,873 between November of 2018 and March of 2019. So four months, more than a quarter of a million dollars with no clear legitimate economic purpose. The money was received from eight different senders. One of those, Hunter's company, Owasco. Two of the women involved appear to be hookers that Hunter hired. Hunter also reportedly wrote a number of checks that they were for Blue Water Wellness, a rehab therapy center that he used. Documents taken from the laptop from hell asked Moreva which of her girls were available for fun on December 11th of 2018. At the time, he was staying at a $700 a night suite at the Roxy Hotel in New York's Tribeca area. And it's pretty upscale for those of you that don't know that. The president's son then reportedly booked Amtrak train tickets to transport three hookers from Boston to New York. They're seen in a video on the train. Another video shows the women having sex, filming it with Hunter. Title 18, Section 2421 of the U.S. Code, also known as the Mann Act, states this, quote, whoever knowingly transports any individual in interstate or foreign commerce or in any territory or possession of the United States with intent that such individual engage in prostitution or in any sexual activity for which any person can be charged with the criminal offense or attempts to do so, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. A Senate report released in September of 2020. That's election year, right? 
that's two months before the election, right? Asserted, Hunter sent thousands to women with ties to Eastern European prostitution and sex trafficking rings while his dad was overseeing U.S. policy in Ukraine. And you know what most, most of you did when uh, you heard this story and I started talking about it, what most of you did? You yawned. It's like no big deal. That Joe Biden's boy, Hunter. That's the person that Joe Biden said is the smartest person on the globe, Hunter Biden. And what did Hunter do? <laughs> All he did was something he wanted to do that he knew he was not going to pay a price at all. Not going to do it. Wow. Meanwhile, while Hunter is living his lavish life on the beach in California, I think he's paying about $24,000, a month lease on a mansion there. The rest of us are trying to figure out what his father's doing and what his dad really wants to do while he's president. It is so complicated There are so many moving parts in our political system, and Joe Biden's involved in all of them. Of course, he's the president, but trying to figure out what he's doing and what he's not doing and what he should be doing are pretty tough things. So how about an open letter to Joe Biden? Hello, folks, and welcome to Cudlow. I'm Larry Cudlow. Today's inflation report was a disaster. Inflation is broadening, deepening and accelerating. Now, Senator Joe Manchin issued a very fine statement today about this disastrous inflation report. Permit me to quote, it is time for us to work together to get unnecessary spending under control, produce more energy at home, and take more active and serious steps to address this record inflation that now poses a clear and present danger to our economy. No matter what spending aspirations some in Congress may have, it is clear to anyone who visits a grocery store or a gas station that we cannot add any more fuel to this inflation fire. All right, Senator, as an old friend, I want to say first how right you are, especially about getting unnecessary spending under control. Therefore, I must ask friend to friend, Why on earth are you huddling privately with Senator Chuck Schumer over a reconciliation package that could add a trillion dollars to spending and raise taxes on small businesses? If we want to fight inflation, we should freeze domestic spending. You proposed this freeze last summer. You were right then. You were instrumental in saving America and killing the five trillion Build Back Better bill. All to your great credit. No one praised you more than I did. Along with our coalition to save America, you came on this very show. And you spoke brilliantly on the subject of spending control and stopping inflation. Your segment ratings, by the way, went through the roof. So how can it be that now suddenly you're dancing cheek to cheek with Chuck Schumer? You know, you're breaking my heart. But you also know that more spending will steepen inflation and deepen the recession. Now, you're totally right about grocery stores and gas stations. You're totally right about not adding any more fuel to this inflation fire. This sounds like the Joe Manchin I know and respect. Heck, I wanted you to run for president on these ideas. But this Schumer smooching has got us all in a tizzy. Say it isn't so, Joe. 
And I might add, Senator, taxing small businesses and corporations and successful entrepreneurs will do great harm to the supply side of the economy, which will bring on more inflation. So I'm begging you to reconsider. We know you're a patriot. Please think about how federal fiscal policy could help the Fed and mitigate the recession by spending, taxing, and regulating less. Take the shackles off business. Take the shackles off the oil and gas sector. Stop the regulatory agencies from running wild and making up laws the way the Supreme Court decision, West Virginia versus the EPA, is meant to do. Here's how bad the inflation report is today. You could take out food and energy, which we shouldn't, because that's what working folks buy. But even if you took out food and energy, inflation over the past three months is nearly 8% at an annual rate, much faster than the 12-month change of nearly 6%. Services inflation, even without energy, is now up 8.5% for the past three months, compared to only 5.5% year-on-year. Inflation is actually getting faster. The Cleveland Fed has an important measure that removes the high and low price outliers and gives a more accurate reading of underlying inflation. Well, that metric has gone from 2% 18 months ago to 7% today. The Fed's going to have to raise its target rate in a couple of weeks by a full 100 basis points. The Bank of Canada just raised its rate by a full percentage point. We're going to have to do exactly the same thing if we're to show we're serious about stomping out monetary inflation. Already, typical working families are watching their weekly wages drop over 6% in the past year and a half. Family costs probably up by over $5,000 close to that 68 percent of the cpi components are now rising at five percent or faster inflation expectations are becoming embedded throughout the economy it's going to take a couple years to get back to the fed's two percent inflation target if they can even do that that's why i'm imploring you senator to adopt a pro-growth fiscal approach we do not need to spend and tax more we do need to spend, tax, and regulate less. A supply-side boost to the economy will help working folks. It'll avoid a catastrophic recession. And it will calm inflation. Please, please help us save America, Senator Manchin. Kill the bill. <laughs> All right. That's my thought tonight. It just makes common sense when you hear it laid out like that. And talking about government spending, more government spending. Who in their right mind thinks there's any way possible, conceivable, without just being absolutely stark raving mad, anybody could say, we just need to spend more money on this. I don't care what it is. You do realize that we, when they tell us we're 31, 32, 33 trillion dollars in debt, that means it's really more than a hundred trillion dollars. It doesn't matter what those numbers are, folks. They're way past beyond the level at which we can even think about repaying those. But nevertheless, look at the things that you have right in front of you you're spending money on or that you need to spend money on. Those are the important things to you. Those are the important things to me. And you need or you want to have money sufficient to do it. 
I'd like to take a really nice vacation this year. I'd like to go somewhere that doesn't require vaccinations and that uh, their food supply is good, their goods and services are rolling at about an at least a 95% rate. Love warm weather, love sand, love beaches, love pretty water, like the Caribbean. I like way, way, way down south in Mexico. I'm talking about the bottom of the peninsula. (laughs) I like summer vacations. I'd love to go somewhere exotic. But now everybody looks at it and it's like all these little red lights begin to pop up. Boom, boom, boom. What about this though? What about this? What about this? Oh my gosh, I don't know about that. The chaos that has been inflicted on us by all of this government crud that we're having to deal with. And most of it is being hidden from us. Even when something leaks out and we see it, you know, it's like that roach that comes out. He's not supposed to be out at the last second. He realizes, I'm not supposed to be here, and he runs back under the stove. We're, we're kind of like that. When we see this, it's like, man, I don't like that. I can't believe that. I can't understand that. And it makes it tougher to make any kind of decision about anything. But you have Joe Manchin that's talking to Joe Biden about a big new spending bill. Now think about the insanity of that. We're already watching our interest rates go through the roof. Literally almost overnight. Each week. A hundred basis point increase. What that is, folks, 1%. Rates go up 1%. And they never go up that much. But we've already seen the Fed raise rates a full percentage point at one time. They raised it before that. We're not in a good economic place. Our government does not need to be spending more money. We need to, as taxpayers, we need to be more vigilant over the way we spend money and how we obligate ourselves. As you just heard Kudlow say, you heard it earlier from Stuart Varney, this is not going to turn around overnight. We're going to have to live with this for a while, maybe as long as two more years after this. And that would mean only if somebody gets their hold on it and turns it around and we stop doing this stupid spending and finding ways to get more energy domestically. Joe Biden, President Biden, you could end this energy crisis and most of our inflation, almost all of it, maybe all of it, by just simply Take your freaking hands off of the energy policies. Let the private sector feed the federal government the billions of dollars they've been doing for decades in tax revenue, at the same time taking care of America's energy problems. Why do you want to go beg for the Saudis to do that when you can do it out of the Permian Basin in West Texas? You could make that change in 90 days. Most of this craziness with which we're living in, most of it could be overturned like that if Joe Biden would just do it. I don't think Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer would let it happen. You know why? 
The rich are rich. And when the poor get stuck with financial problems, guess what? The rich are still rich. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque. And experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Election cycles come and go. White House reporters come and go. The truth is a diamond because it's forever. TNN, the Truth News Network. Your jeweler today is Dan Newman. There are so many specific things that happen. Maybe we call them or think of them as little little things, but they're not they're not little. Anything that's important to you is it's a big thing and that's the way life works. Yeah, sometimes we minimize something that is a big thing. Sometimes we uh, take a big thing, we minimize it. Sometimes we take a little thing and we maximize it. And we get our perspectives wrong. But most of the time, we deal with the circumstances in our lives, making decisions about them based upon what our fundamental thoughts are about life in general. Things like law enforcement. You know, the perfect law enforcement system in the world would be one in which the public never noticed any actions by the law enforcement system. Think about that. That would mean everything's working. Everybody's working. Everybody knows that if they break the laws in that system, they're going to receive immediate action from law enforcement. And so there is enough there to keep them from wanting to do it. Is there any place on the world that operates that way? I don't know. Throughout our past here in the United States, we've always kind of been, you know, the wild, wild west. I've been overseas a bunch and people over there, that's, many, that's the way many of them look at the United States. We're all like John Wayne. 
You know, we ride on horses and we carry guns and we'll shoot anybody that we don't like. That's what they think. But laws are part of the backbone and the structure of what makes any country work in a consistent, coherent way. Without those laws, you just have anarchy where anything goes. Anybody can do anything and nobody gets held accountable for it. There's a huge portion of people that live in the United States that are activists and they actually want anarchy to reign as the governing philosophy in the United States of America. It's pretty crazy, but they're out there. I guess one of the the most recent examples of that happened on the streets of New York, that bodega owner, that uh, he was being robbed, and all we knew initially was somebody was trying to rob his store, and he knifed the guy to death. Well, there's more than that to the story. And I'm going to let you listen to Judge Janine. They were talking about it on the five. And I want you to listen to the stuff in this conversation that I didn't include, the information that I didn't include when I said what happened. This bodega owner, a guy was robbing his store, and he stabbed the guy to death that was robbing the store. And the bodega owner got thrown in jail for stabbing the guy. It's hard to believe this is controversial, but it is. Listen to this back and forth in the summarization of that whole event. Clearly self-defense. And now the more we see, the more we realize he wasn't the aggressor. He was up against the wall and he's trying to make an escape and the guy grabs him, so he stabs him. And he says, I don't want a problem. Right, right. Look, this is a microcosm of what's going on in the country. The victims are seen as either irrelevant or the people that we're going to go after. The criminals are excused, they're released, whatever it is. And this is just an example of it, everybody. This is coming to your town if it isn't there already. The problem here is that the woman comes in to buy chips. Her, her, uh, she has a card, some kind EBT. of a debit card. It's a, it's a government debit card. Doesn't work. She goes and gets her boyfriend. He is a, uh, uh, a career criminal, a gangbanger. He's been in state's prison, not jail, state's prison several times. He corners him. He pushes him down, then he pulls him up, and then he pushes him down again. This man, who is a owner of the bodega, he only, after he realizes he can't get away from this kid who's twice as uh, strong, half his age, um, he decides he's going to stab him. He stabs him. It's called a right of self-defense. You have the right to defend yourself in the United States of America if you believe that you are being faced with deadly lethal force. And he knew that, and that's why he attacked. Now, we do not have a stand-your-ground law in New York. And what Fernando Mateo and the, this United Bodega workers are talking about is getting a stand-your-ground law where you do not have an obligation, as you do in New York, to escape. We have a castle doctrine. You can kill if someone's coming to kill you in your home. But if you're not in your home, you pretty much have to escape. He was cornered. He had nowhere to and go. And he tried to get around. They right. said that was key. He tried to get around. Judge, right. how about this? When the cops show up, he's standing there. He goes, listen, I'll tell you the story and this is what happened. They arrest him and put him in Rikers. Yeah. If you, why, is that standard? He's like, listen, I'm in the bodega. This is what happened. Obviously, he's got no background. Myself. Yeah. Defending myself. Why did he go to Rikers? Do you find that standard that he went to Rikers? 
No, I don't find that standard at all. In so, a situation like that, you speak to the assistant DA, it's a homicide. They had to get involved. Now, you know it's a progressive DA. They don't believe in jailing anybody. They've got this guy who goes to work every day at noontime. He gets home at 3 in the morning every day. Every day. He's 61 years old, never had a problem, clean record, has, has de-escalated all kinds of problems in that bodega. And all this will come out. And the other guy was a dirtbag. He's dead. He deserved to die because of what he did. This man had a right to defend himself. That's the end do? of it. What do you do if this does happen to us? Because everyone's worried in New York. What do you do if someone comes up to you? Do you have to, by law, try to defuse the situation and then you could use force or you could use a weapon? You have to use your common sense. That's the first thing. You know, if you can get away with not dealing with some of the crazies that are out there. But there is in New York, there is no stand your ground. You have a duty to escape. You have to, right. If there is a reasonable way of escaping, you have to do it. And he tried to. The mayor mayor stood up for him and said the bodega owner mm -hmm. seems to have done the right thing. Yeah, is, the is mayor that, did say, Yeah, but the mayor doesn't stand up enough. Okay, if yeah. the mayor were standing up for the people of New York City, what he would say is, "We've got to stop the cashless bail. We've got people using guns. We send them out. As soon as we arrest them, then we let them go." And somebody right. like this, who's a hardworking man who is covered by the law of self-defense, clearly in New York, we jail him in Rikers. Well, the only reason the mayor came to his defense was because it's on the front page of all the papers all the time now. Yeah, and the the. You know, this town looks terrible. Any but normal person would do the same thing. Absolutely. You're trying to prevent Absolutely. you from dying. It's insane. I mean, this guy, Alvin Bragg is his name, the uh, district attorney, African-American guy that was elected last year, and he is a hard leftist. He does not believe in incarceration. He would rather open up all the jailed cell doors and just let every inmate leave, period. He thinks everybody that's prosecuted is prosecuted unfairly. Therefore, they don't need to go to jail. This guy was protecting his bodega. The guy attacked him. The guy, the only self-defense he had was a knife. By the way, it showed later in the video, the girl, the girlfriend, stabbed the bodega owner with another knife. That was known at the scene of the crime when the police got there, and they still arrested this bodega owner and threw him in jail. There are so many wrong parts to that story. We need wisdom and leadership. We need people that understand what's right and what's wrong, and the things that are important, and the things that are not important. We need leadership. We don't have any leadership, especially in Washington, D.C., President, Vice President, leadership. Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. Oh my gosh, that just bleeds leadership, understanding, and giving us real solutions for real problems. Meanwhile, this bodega owner... He's a, by the way, a legal immigrant. He immigrated here legally, probably just because he is an immigrant. He's thrown in jail. Rikers Island, that's where the hardcore prisoners in Manhattan go. What in the heck is this world coming to? Let me just blow your mind one other way. The vaccine mandates. Joe Biden's 
government vaccine mandates. That's no big deal, right? I mean, everybody understands we all get vaccinated when we're kids, gets the mumps, against polio, against this, against that. It's just kind of a standard thing. So COVID-19 is running around, and guess what they do? They come up with a new concoction. The problem is a lot of people aren't doing really well from taking it, and as it began to happen more and more and more and more vaccinations were given, we found out that the drug companies really didn't do exhaustive clinical trials using people over a period of time, testing results, finding out what parts of these vaccines work, what didn't. And every day now we find out that it's worse than we thought. Do you know that in the last three months, this will blow your mind, in the last three months, more people in the United States that had had vaccinations, single and double and triple boosted, more people have died from COVID-19 than people that have died unvaccinated. Think about that for a second. More people have died from COVID-19, the disease itself, catching the disease. More people have died that were vaccinated, boosted, and boosted again than people that were unvaccinated, caught COVID, and died. Now, the horrors of all of this is it's been pushed out politically. It's become a political ideology. It went completely through our federal government. Worst of all, it went completely through our military. And now listen to this. This was just released moments ago. At least 260,000 American troops, active military American troops, That's 13% of our 2.1 million total military force are not fully vaccinated despite a Biden administration vaccine mandate for the military. And guess what's happening? They're being told now you're being kicked out of the military. 260,000. This is almost unbelievable. According to the DOD's website, at least 268,858 service members are still not in compliance with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's August 2021 mandate for every member to be fully vaccinated with two doses. That figure does not count the thousands who have not taken any doses. Only about 20,000 of the more than 260,000 have received a temporary or permanent exemption. That's according to the latest stats provided by the U.S. military. That means the rest face discharge from the military at a time our military services are struggling to even get people to enter the military. So far, 95 military deaths from coronavirus. 412,766 who have had it and recovered, according to DOD. Just think about those two numbers for a minute. Only 95 died. 
412,766 diagnosed positive with it and have recovered. Mike Berry, who is a Marine Reservist, General Counsel from First Liberty, is representing service members seeking religious exemptions. He released this statement, losing nearly 270,000 troops would devastate our military. That's more than twice as many U.S. troops that died during World War I from all causes. Almost as many as died in combat during World War II. Our adversaries are probably delighted to see the Pentagon eliminate more troops than they ever could. Religious accommodations have only been granted for troops who are already leaving the military. They just got out early because of their religious accommodation request. It's unclear whether the Defense Department will discharge or merely discipline every single service member not in compliance with Austin's order, but to date the military services have kicked out about 6,400 members, and that's just the latest statistics that are available. It's probably more than that. The Marines led with at least 3,069 discharged. Navy's been blocked from discharging a sailor, any sailor, who filed a religious exemption request due to a court injunction. All of these discharges have been either general or honorable after Republicans and some Democrats fought to take dishonorable discharges off the table. Still, a discharge that is not an honorable discharge means loss of benefits and a permanent record that indicates the discharge was quote-unquote, possibly due to misconduct. National Guard, Army Reserve, they recently acknowledged that as many as 60,000 soldiers, about 12% of their force, are not fully vaccinated. And unless they have an approved or pending exemption, they can no longer drill or be paid for it as of July 1. For the Army National Guard, it's about 40,000. And for the Army Reserve, about 21,000 who cannot drill, who cannot be paid, or be deployed on a federal status. Unvaxxed reservists without exemptions, they can still conduct state missions, but the Army said they still face discharge. Army announced in a press release, quote, Beginning July 1st, members of the Army National Guard and U.S. Army Reserve who have refused the lawful Department of Defense COVID-19 vaccine without an approval or pending exemption may not participate in federally funded drills and training, will not receive pay or retirement credit. i got to be honest with you. I don't think there's any other thing in this administration that even looks closely to being a serious as this one thing. These are the people, the only people that are there that are available, that are trained, ready, and willing to defend our nation against foreign foes. And we have plenty of those foreign foes out there. I think you'll agree. We got a lot of people out there around the world that don't like us and would love to kick our butts. And now, right now, it looks like that they're getting a real good opening to do just that. If these dischargements are actually completed, if this is allowed to stand, where's the commander-in-chief on all this? You know where he is. 
He's right there saying, it's the right thing to do. It's what we said they had to do. And we have the power and the authority to do that. And because I'm Joe freaking Biden, you got to get that vaccination. You got to get boosted. You got to do it so not just you won't die, so those around you won't die because you won't be vaccinated. Wah, wah, wah. I'm going to end on that story, but I'm going to tell you this. As bitter as it seems, as ugly as it seems, we're okay. Why are we okay? Because God's in charge. If he's in charge, I'm in charge. So why don't we leave on a happy note? How about a little uh, earth, wind, and fire? How about late 70s? I love this song. I got to, got to get you into my life. And I'm going to do it. Got to get you into my life, into my life. Got to get you into my life, into my life.